Father's Day failed. So we came back from the Camp Exodus, and as we're, while we were there at Camp Exodus, um, we were talking about identity and, and who we are in Christ and, and just who has God called us to be versus who we once were. And so we gathered around about 30 students, uh, actually 38 students if I remember right, around the big bonfire on the banks of the Awadusa Creek. And we started just, I started preaching over there, and it was incredible. We had worship down by the river, down by the river. We had worship down by the river. It was incredible. It was awesome. We had a lot of fun. And, and so I'm driving back home, and I'm thinking, like, I still got to write a sermon. I was supposed to do a Father's Day sermon. And I was like, I've done Father's Day sermons. Everyone knows, you know, every Father's Day sermon is the same, right? Step up, be a better man, be a better dad. Boom, boom. That's stepping on your toes for a Baptist pastor right there. And so I was like, I don't want to do the same thing over again. I don't want to just like, keep doing the same cliche thing. And so I said, you know, what if I preach the sermon that we did down by the creek, uh, the Albuquerque Creek? What if I preach it over here to all of you guys? And so I figured it was something that would, you know, uh, resonate with everyone. Because let's just be honest, we all have a, a problem with ourselves, uh, naturally. This isn't something that, 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 that we necessarily think about all the time, but naturally... You're, you are born with a, a seeking nature to figure out what is your purpose in life. What do I do with my, my life? What do I do with my world? And if you're not thinking about that, you're probably kind of a narcissistic kind of, kind of in your own bubble. But if you are, if you have any foreign language, if you have kids, you're thinking about that. Because as a mother, as a father, you're wondering, what do I do? What is my purpose? How do I provide for these, for these people? If you're engaged, if you're married, now you have the, the care of someone else you need to provide for, take care of, women, clean up after, you know, and like whatever it is, you have a reason and a purpose. If you are a young entrepreneur and you're a single and your, 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 your interest is your job and building a great career, that is your purpose. That's what you think that you need to be doing. And so a lot of times it's good for us to talk about what is our identity in life. I pray that this message will shake all of us here to the core and because and cause us to question everything about ourselves. Like I want this sermon to not just be one of those and eh, Father's Day, let's go eat it, go and crawl afterwards type messages. I want this sermon to cause you to question your purpose in life and compare it to your current state in life. I want it to make you question the way you love to who you love. I want it to question you. I want you to stir up emotions in you about, about what you do every day and what you fail to do every day. I want this to be that type of sermon. I want you to answer the question, what is my identity? Who am I really? Okay, so let's start off like this. The basis for everything I say right now is going to be scripture. Okay, so I'm going to come at you hard on some things, and I guarantee you, and I hope it does, I hope some of you guys get really upset with me right now. I hope by the end of the sermon, you're like threatening to throw that Bible up here and hit me in the, in the forehead. And some of you probably can, okay? Yeah, so I'm like decking, okay? But I, I want you to be wrecked today. Like, I want you to be really stirred up, okay? I want you to be upset with me and say, like, you know what? I want to talk to you at this service. I want to give you a piece of my mind. Bring it. Come on, Vato, bring it up here. You know, let's do this. Okay, but scripture is the basis of everything we're going to talk about tonight. And it's going to upset you, but I hope it encourages you and moves you to the next, to the next step. Okay, so we don't look at Facebook for truth. Okay, 
We don't look at Facebook. We don't look at media. We don't look at BuzzFeed or, or YouTube or Snapchat or Instagram for any type of cultural influence on our lives. We look towards Scripture for the ultimate truth. All of these things are, are good things. Don't get me wrong. I'm a Facebookaholic myself. You know me. You, you follow me. You know what? I'm on there a lot. But ultimately, those things do not hold truth. They're just cultural influences on our lives. Listen, God is the maker and creator of us. He formed and fashioned every single person here with his hands. He created you. He didn't just throw together spare parts. He, he made you his. And if he made us, then we need to be really smart about this and not be dumb or idiots and not listen to it. And so we're going to look at scripture today. If you have your Bibles, open up to, the, to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, scripture should be in the screen behind me. If not, you can go on facebook.com backslash impact city church. The scripture is just posted on there. While you're there, you can go ahead and check in and say, hey, this guy is about to yell at me. So help. You can just type in help on there. That'll be funny. They'd be like, what are they doing in that church? Just send SWAT teams in there and everything. Okay. So Paul, okay, Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus. If you don't know who Paul is, let me just kind of give you a little, little quick right now. Paul is once known as Saul, okay? Y'all get it with me? This is not Dr. Seuss. This is the Bible. Paul was once known as Saul. Saul was this guy whose job was to go off and uh, exterminate Christians. He was going to go and kill off Christians. He would go to different churches that were underground. He would go there, and he would literally just level them all out, go in there, cup off all their heads, kind of do all that crazy stuff. And his job was to do that. One day, he's on his way. He's on the road to Damascus. He's going over to his town. He's going to go and annihilate a church down there and on his way over there the spirit of God comes upon him Jesus Christ's spirit is upon him he gets knocked off his high horse literally and he goes and he lays on the ground the spirit of God says why are you persecuting me he strikes him blind and for about a couple of days he goes off into another village and and then he, he he's like trying to figure out what is going on there's another Christian involved and he helps pray over him and then he goes ahead and the, the scales that were on his eyes that God put there gets removed and so he guts up and he's like well, this is incredible. My life has been just transformed. Then he goes over. He starts planting churches. That's why we love being missionaries. That's why we love planting churches. We love being out there, out there into the other nations. He goes out there. He starts preaching the gospel. He starts planting churches. He starts building up the, the Christian faith that he was once annihilating. And he becomes Paul, not Saul. Then he changes the name to Paul. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. And we know him as one of the greatest apostles of Jesus Christ that has ever walked the earth. Pretty awesome guy, right? I think we got to listen to what he needs to say. And he was writing to this church in the city of Ephesus, right? And the church in Ephesus started off great. You can read about it in, in the Revelation. It started off great. Everything's good. But somewhere along the line, they started to kind of screw up. Okay, and a lot of times us as Christians do that, right? We start off really good. We have really good intentions with our life. We're excited about what's going on. But then we start to slack off and we start to to not be as, as good as we should be. And this is what's going on in Ephesus. And Paul is writing to them and he's telling them, listen, listen, this is who you are. This is who you are. But before you know who you are, you need to know who you once were. And it's important for us to have that correlation, that contrast, to compare who we once were to who we are now. Listen, for those of you who are here who are followers of Christ, this is, should be a wake-up call. For those of you who are here and you're not a follower of Christ, I hope that it is the same type of wake-up call to you. And so he tells them this. He writes them in chapter 2, verse 1. And he says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
in whence you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power and of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and of our mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. Paul says, before you know who you are, you need to know what you were, okay? You need to know what you used to be. And what he says here, he says, to the whole church in Ephesus and really to all of us, he says, we all were, we were all once children of wrath. Ouch. Children of wrath. And you might say, no, 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 Pastor, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, that's, that's Ephesus, man. That's, oh, that's, that, that's them, okay? I, I, I'm not like that. I've always been good. I've always been a good person. I've always done good things in my life. I mean, growing up, I was always in the church. I was kind of, you know, I was always in church. I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church every Sunday by my parents. I was just, I was always in the pew. If it wasn't Wednesday night, it wasn't Sunday morning, it wasn't Sunday night, I was always there. You might say that, that you were a chosen child of God. Maybe you, you named that, you reclaimed it upon your life. I am chosen by God. I am I am a child of the, the Heavenly Father. Maybe you say, like, there was no way that I could be a child of wrath, okay? Maybe you might say, like, look, I was made in the image of God, and I deserve that everything that he has, all of his glorious, all of his riches, I deserve those things as I am made in the image of God. Maybe you're a kingdom kid, and that's the type of person you think you are. That might be what you think you are, but the problem is, is by default, you have already falsely identified yourself as something you're not. Because Scripture is clear. We were all once children of wrath. Look, you have not always been a Christian your whole life. Some of you really need to hear that today. You have not always been good your whole life. And for those of you who think you are good, you're struggling with pride, boom, you're in that same category. Congratulations, you're a sinner. At some point, at some moment in your life, there had to have been a time where God came down and called you into adoption into his family. He called you. He, you didn't find God. Didn't say, I found God and you didn't find God. He wasn't lost, okay? He wasn't like a kid that was lost out in the mall. You know, no, God found you. He came to you. He adopted you. He called you into adoption into his family. And it was at that point that you chose to surrender to him that you shed the identity of a children of wrath and you gained a new identity. So let's talk about this for a moment. Let me, let me kind of break this down. Okay? Because Paul has just reminded the church at Ephesus that before they were identified in Christ, they were once identified as children of wrath. And if we were to go forward with this message, you need to stop and realize where you stand on the pendulum swinging of this, this whole scripture right here. You're either going to choose to be a children of wrath or you're going to fall on the, the other side of your identity in Christ. But to understand where we're at, we need to understand what does it mean to be a child of wrath. There's five characteristics Paul gives us about wrath. He says that, that the children of wrath were following the world. They were following the world and they were following the prince of the air. Like the church lady said, could it be Satan? Satan? And no one laughs at that no more. You guys don't remember SNL? Like back in the day, Saturday Night Live, Dina Carvey, church lady? I am not that old. Okay. Um, you're thinking, well, 
We just don't watch bad stuff, Pastor. We're all children of God. Okay, living in disobedience. They says that they were following the prince of the air. They were living in disobedience. Says they were living with the passions of their flesh, and they were carrying out the desires of their bodies and of their mind. And by nature, he wraps them all up and says they were children of wrath. Does any of these sound familiar to you? Do any of these characteristics of a child of wrath sound familiar to you? You might not think so. But let's look at these characteristics just a little bit closer. First one, following the world. How many of us think that because the world says to do something, we have to act a certain way or be a certain person? Because the American dream says that you are to have a you know, three-figure bank account, you are to have a huge home, you are to have two cars, one for your wife, one for you, maybe a couple for your kids. Every child needs a cell phone. Everyone has to have a certain amount of success in this world. And because the world says that's what success looks like, you feel the pressure to be like that. You are following the world. Okay, what if it's something like on social media that says that you need to fight for this cause? Like this certain lifestyle, this certain um, company, this certain organization, this certain nonprofit, this certain thing is really great. You need to be on this thing's side. If you're not on the side of this, then you're against it. And you feel the pressure to follow through with the rest of the world. How many of us do that? Scripture also said that they were following the prince of the air now you know whenever jesus was in the wilderness he was out there for 40 days and 40 nights and towards the end of those 40 days and 40 nights the enemy came about him satan came about he's like hey let me let me tempt you with something you're hungry make those rocks into bread okay you want to end this all you want all of these nations you want all of these things over here why don't you just say the word and it is all yours you know why don't you throw yourself off and see the angels come catch you why don't you test god in these things he was tempting him and he was saying if you do these things then you will get this how many of you guys feel tempted by the enemy how many guys think that the enemy is tempting you daily you're darn right he is listen if you're not feeling tempted or attacked by some way you're not even a threat to the, king, to, to the kingdom of, of hell right now. And that's a problem. There was not one of us here today that has not been tempted by sin. Not one of us here today that has not been tempted by sin. Let's just get real. You're no angel. And you're not as good as you think you are. We all have been tempted by sin. Whether it's drinking, alcoholism, whether it's sex, things just got real. Drugs, lying, you're tempted to live up a, a life of pride, whether it's pornography. You know, I was in sixth grade when I saw my first pornographic image. And we didn't even have cell phones back then. It was old school, like magazine, ripped off the page so your dad wouldn't know that you took it. You know, like that was, that was, that was my first, yeah. Now it's in your pocket. As a man, you're tempted every morning, every afternoon, every evening to log on to that app, to log on to that website and give in to that sin. Every time you pick up your phone, it's a reminder what is accessible through that phone. And I laugh. I laugh so hard when I see these middle school kids walking down the street after school and I'm driving to work and they're on their iPhones. I'm thinking, and their parents are probably like, I don't know why, he, I don't know where we went wrong. I don't know where he started, like, I don't know where he started doing all these things. I don't know how he got her pregnant. What, are you serious? Like, he's eight? You know, like, why does he need an iPhone for? 
living in disobedience. It says that there were children out there were living in disobedience. This is a struggle for all of us. Now, we all struggle with the sins of omission. That means that we are doing something that, we're, that we are not doing something that we should be doing, the sin of omission. And when we do something or we don't do something that we should do, that means that we are in complete disobedience to God. That you know better, but you don't do it. I talked about this last week. I said, Ryan, when I ask you to go clean your room, and he stands there, and he's like looking at me. I'm like, you're disobeying me. Go do it now. Hurry up. Like, I didn't want you to stop and think about that. Okay? Whenever I, we, you, mothers, you ask your kids, wake up in the morning, make your beds, brush your teeth, get ready for school. And they wake up in the morning, and they're on their Xbox or whatever it is that they're doing. or on their iPhones. They're disobeying you, right? Whenever we know something is what, you know what God wants us to do, and we don't do it, that is a sin of omission, and it's pure disobedience. You know that Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, to worship him with all of that. And if we don't give him everything, then we're in sin. Some of us won't give God all our lives because you want to hold on to that one thing. Because you're scared that if you give it to God, he might take it away from you, Right? How many of you guys have ever had your kids and they're like playing with something? Hey, what do you got there? Give it to me. And what do they put it behind their back and they give you like two things that really aren't so bad, but they're holding on to that, that one bad thing that they know that if, they sh- if you show that to them, that, that, that you're going to take it from them? The same thing we do with God. God says, give me all of your life. Give me everything about you. I want to, know, I want to be inside your, your marriage. I want to be inside your, your phone time. I want to be inside your, your finances. I want to be inside the, the, how you trust me with your kids. I want to be inside everything about you. I want, to be in all, I want to be in your love life. I want to be in your work life. I want to be in every aspect of your life. But many of us will just give them, I'll give them my work life maybe. Maybe I'll give them my love life. Maybe the kids, I am not giving him my finances. I'm not giving him my bank account. I'm not giving him my love life because if I give him my love life, then my boyfriend that I love so much or my girlfriend or whatever it is that I know is not right for me, he's going to reveal it to me. I'm going to feel convicted. I will have to push them away. So we hold back. We are living in disobedience there. Which brings me to this next topic, which is going to be kind of hard. But they were living in the passions of their flesh. Listen, sex is a desire of the flesh. Sex, and for women, the, the feeling of affection is a desire of the flesh, something that, that you want, and it's something that is incredible, and it's something that is awesome, and something that we want to praise God, and we want to worship God through it, if you are married. Listen, you cannot sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend at any age and be honoring to God. Even at adulthood, even in, in teenage years or whatever, you cannot do that. But let's dive a little deeper. Let's dive a little deeper. Because, because there's some of us out there, because of cultural influence, or maybe peer pressure, maybe maybe think that maybe we've come to believe that same-sex attraction is biblical. Or it's even okay. There was tons of pastors and preachers and denominations that say it is okay, that it is a biblical. And let me tell you something, it is wrong. It is wrong. Listen, if that is you and you've got questions about that, I want to be here for you. I want to be able to, to articulate that and talk to you about that. But let me just point out two things real quick. One, it is not biblical. You can argue with me all you want, but you're going to lose that argument. Two, 
because that you feel like that is okay, it does not mean that the church needs to push you away. If anything, the church has done a really poor job at welcoming that community here. Not here, but just in general. Whenever Orlando went down last Sunday, I didn't even know about it until after I got off of church, I whipped. That was 50 people, 103 people total who were hit by, by bullets. A pure carnage. And then there was people in the church that were saying, that's good, I'm glad that happened. They deserve it, those sinful people. Are you serious? There's no Jesus in the heart of that person who said that? Listen, this is a total side note here. We as a church need to be open and available to love everyone in every point of their life. And if we can't do that, then we're the ones that need to have a little bit more teaching and growing up and discipling and all that. It's time for the church to stop being a cruise ship, a luxury liner where people just come and enjoy it and they have their country club life. And it's time for us to start being a tugboat that is out there and working and bringing people into the port and bringing people out of the storm and doing a harder job at what it means to be the body of Christ. Amen? Come on, church. If, you, if, if you're sitting there, you're, you're, if you're upset with what I'm saying, then this isn't the church for you. We're going to love people. We're not going to accept the things that they do, but we're going to love them through them. And we will always preach the truth here. But we're going to love everyone through it. Amen? That's just what we're supposed to do. The next thing the scripture says is that they're carrying out the desires of their body and of their mind. How many of you guys ever heard the term, follow your heart? You've probably seen it on a Disney poster. Some of you men probably have had to sing a song with that for your daughters. I hope you have. But it is a complete lie. We talked about this a little bit last week too. Following your heart is one of the worst things that I think anyone has ever said because ultimately the scripture says that our hearts are wicked. And every time that I have followed my heart, it has led me down a really bad path, amen? Because my heart wants bad things. My heart wants selfish things. My heart does not have a desire ultimately at birth to do the things of God. Our hearts at birth have a desire to do the things that we want to do. You, want, you don't believe me? Just listen to your kids. You didn't teach them how to lie. You didn't teach them how to be stingy and not share their toys. You didn't teach them to throw a, a jab at someone whenever they don't listen to them or they don't share with them. No, our hearts are born of wickedness in them. It takes God moving in and flushing out all of that badness, that evilness, that then our hearts are made for God. But these people here were following the desires of their hearts, of their body, and of their mind. Let me ask you, why not, would you rather follow your heart or would you rather follow Jesus? Because every time I follow Jesus, it's not easy. Following Jesus is freaking hard at times. But it is so much better than following the desires of my own heart. I promise you that, people. Okay, I promise you. I want you to ask yourselves right now, because ultimately he, he wraps all of these things up. He wraps them up, and he says that you all are children of wrath, that we all are that. Because the church, you were all once children of wrath. Raph, let me ask yourself, ask yourself this. Is this your identity right now? Like in light of what I just talked about, in light of the scriptures in Ephesians 2, 1 through 4, in light of all of this, can you seriously sit there in your seat and say to yourself, I am none of those things right now. Some of you may, and that's great. We welcome you. We want you guys to be really involved in the church. But some of you might be looking back at your life right now. You might be saying, you know what? I struggle with that. 
like bad. Like I'm living in it daily and it is consuming me. If that is you, I want you to um, I ask yourself, is this you, is this your identity? Take about 10 seconds to think about that. Bow your heads, have a little evaluation of your heart right now. Just close your eyes and think about that. Is this your identity right now? Following the world. Following the prince of the air. Living in pure disobedience to what you know God's word tells you to do. Living in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of our body and of our minds. Are we considering ourselves children of wrath? Church, listen up. If that is you, do not fear because there is incredible hope for you today. The scripture does not end there. If it was to end there, then we would be ultimately screwed. That's a biblical term, by the way, I'm pretty sure. But it goes forward. It it, it goes forward. It says that you don't have to be known as a child of wrath anymore. You don't have to be known as a disobedient, flesh-seeking, purely chasing the desires of your body and of your mind and of the world person anymore. That you could be something else. Paul says this. Let's keep reading here. Paul says, Among whom were once, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and of our mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Then he says, But God... Okay, but God, which, by the way, is probably two of the best words in the scripture. But God, it means that you were once on a path. You were once going a certain direction and you were on a certain walkway. But God, but God, he came in. Everything was going a certain way. But God intervened and stepped in front of you and said, what are you going to do with me? It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. It says, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and to be seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Listen up. The word immeasurable means infathomable. The word immeasurable means that you cannot wrap your mind around what that is. Immeasurable means that it never ends. It is endless. So for us to sit here and for have this misconception that maybe one day that we were good and maybe we lost our salvation along the way is total nonsense because it says immeasurable riches of his grace. That means that God is not done with you even though you think that you are done with God. You're not. doesn't matter how many times you screw up. Doesn't matter how many times you chase your desires of your of your body, of your flesh, doesn't matter how many times you deliberately disobeyed, like Mufasa said, you deliberately disobeyed me, Simba. You mean how many times you deliberately disobeyed the passions of your flesh, you disobeyed God? You are immeasurably enriched with his love and his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's the kicker. You gotta be in Christ Jesus to get that. Verse 8, 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This is the gift from God. You cannot earn your salvation, and you sure as heck cannot lose your salvation. It is not even yours. The Bible says it is an inheritance that is stored up for you one day in heaven that you will get. He has gifted it to you, okay? When you have an inheritance, when someone gives you a, a, a bail bond or some type of thing, you have no access to that. It is yours. You can use it. You can do whatever it is. But ultimately, God controls that. So how dare us think that we are at the level of God that we can say, you know what? I have messed up my life already. I'm going to push God away. It doesn't work that way. I've used this, 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 this imagery before, and I'll say it again because it just makes so much sense. You have, I have three kids. We go to Disney World. One of them is on my leg constantly, and it's like dragging her around. You know what I mean? That is the person who is saved by grace, who loves Jesus, and will always be in the church. They will always be on mission. They will always be doing something for the church. That's the person that will never leave you. Okay? That's the person that never leaves their father. You have the other child that we go off to SeaWorld, and they're like, oh, Dad, I love you so much. Oh, well. And then they go over there, and they start looking at, you know, Shamu, which, you know, praise God, you know, whatever. And so, you know, they're over there, and then they come back to you, though, because the show's over, you know? That's the person who grew up in church and knows about Jesus, is a child of God, but ultimately right now they're distracted by the things of the world, they're distracted by, you know, a, a certain love life, or they're distracted by a certain, you know, thing going on in their life. They're distracted by their job, or they're distracted by the passions of their flesh, whatever it is. They're distracted by something else. Ultimately, though, they might come back to God, and be, whenever they get older, and they get kids, and they get married, and they figure out that they're not as awesome as they think they are, and then they come back to church, and they get involved in church, and they're okay. But some of us will be those kids that we are a child of God, we have a moment where we're connected to God very well, but one day you will walk away from the church and you will never return. How many of you guys know that? You know those people in the church, right? You're thinking about faces coming back to you right now. I remember so-and-so. I remember when so-and-so was in the church. I remember when so-and-so was in my youth group. I remember when so-and-so, but right now they're gone. They're not even anywhere near the church right now. They're like actually pushing the church away. But let me ask you this. Does, if you walk away from your mom and dad, does that change who your mom and dad are? No, you're still a child of God. We have got to know that, that we are adopted into his family. Verse 9 says, as a result of works that no one may boast. It's not us, not for us to be able to, to brag about our salvation. It's all God's good work. We've got to praise him. Now this next verse, listen, if you don't walk away with anything today, you need to walk away with this verse. You need to memorize this verse. Because verse 10 is where we find our identity in Christ. And it explains who we are, what we're supposed to do, and how we're supposed to do it. This next verse says this. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now say it with me again. We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Now I want you to say it one more time though. But put your name in there. So instead of saying we, say Felix. Or don't say Felix, but if your name is Felix, and that would be kind of cool. Um, you know, say your name. Say so-and-so is God's work. Y'all say it right now. Say it to yourselves. Come on, church. You guys sound like a bunch of like preschool kids. Don't even want to be here. Come on. 
One more time. Say it again. Felix is God's workmanship. The Greek word that Paul chose for this sentence is the word pomia, okay? Which it literally means a work of masterful creativity. That the word workmanship means a word, a work of masterful creativity. It's where we get the word poem in the English language. So that whenever someone writes a poem, it is a, a piece of work that is created with a lot of love, a lot of emotion, a lot of subject of, of, you know, of intensity into that. Listen, church, you need to know that you're not just, you know, any, you know, you're not just created from spare parts up in heaven. That when God created you, he created you to be his workmanship. He created you to be his masterpiece you are a work of God that he has created and he said when I looked at this thing I said this is my awesome artwork this is my masterpiece this is my Mona Lisa this is my whatever I'm not sophisticated enough to know art things I just know that one this is my ultimate person that I love that I created and he did it for every single one of you here today you are not just some chance thing that was made one night whenever your mom and dad got freaky. Like, this is something that he ordained. If you're breathing here today, it's because God wants you breathing here today. You have a purpose in life. And you might have not came into this life in the best situation, but God knows that you are made for something more. You are his workmanship. You're his masterpiece. Scripture's Scripture says that as his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, you were created for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. It means that if you are going to claim that you are God's workmanships, you better darn well live like it. Because the last thing you want to say is, I'm God's workmanship. And they're like, really? Because it looks pretty bad. You're like a Picasso. You know, like it's all messed up in there. No, if you're going to claim to be God's workmanship, live like it. Show the world the goodness of God through the way you live your life. In every breath you take, expel grace and glory and love for those who are far from God. In everything that you do, do it with the kingdom in mind, not yourself in mind. In every prayer that you make, pray for others. Pray for the world to change. Pray for God to speak that into your life. Be his workmanship and be the good works many of us struggle with wondering who we are why we exist and for what reason do we exist we wonder what it is that we're defined by and by what standard we should live by many of us do that we all are like that let me tell you something right now let me make it easy for you if you're wondering about that you're either one or you're the other You're either a child of wrath or you're God's workmanship. There is no in-between. Child of wrath, God's workmanship. Maybe you're identifying with God's workmanship. Okay? You're his masterpiece, created for for good works and with life and worthy of a gift for you. Maybe maybe that's you. Maybe that's your identity. But, But... and that is you, and you're sitting here thinking, I'm God's workmanship? Okay, act like it. Continue to act like it. Live a life that is selfless. Do things for others. Be that person that God wants you to be, a light in this community. Maybe there's some, something that in your life, though, that maybe you need repentance for. 
Like maybe there's something that needs to be said. Did you know you're God's workmanship? But there's a smudge on that painting. And you need to repent of it so that the creator can just kind of wipe that way clean from you. You need to repent. Maybe there's something that you need to confess. And you need to say it out loud. You need to be brave enough to, to, to just confess it out to something. There's, there's someone. Maybe there's something that needs to be confessed. Maybe there's something that you need to, to kind of lay at the foot of the cross and leave it there. So many times we come to God with things and God, I love you so much. And you want to lay something at the foot of the cross and you walk away and God, thank you so much. You're like, but I'm going to take it back up again for another week because I kind of want to keep doing what I'm doing. Maybe there's something that you got to lay at the foot of the cross today. There's something that you got to just lay here. Maybe you're identifying yourself closer with the church of Ephesus. And you're looking at your life, you know what, I am, I am looking more at my life. And right now, I am closely more relating to a child of wrath right now. And if that is you, you do not have to be identified like that any longer. You do not have to be a child of wrath anymore. You can stand boldly and proclaim Jesus Christ in your life and say, I have surrendered my life to him. I might not be good. I might not be perfect, but he is perfect in me. And he is working out a great glory for everyone to see through me because I am his workmanship. And that is you here today. And you need to surrender to that. Do not walk out this door without surrendering. Listen, one day your greatest excuse would be your greatest mistake. The best excuses that we have ultimately become our greatest mistakes. And we leave things behind that we should be doing. Before you walk out of your town, I'm going to give you that opportunity. We don't do this very often at Impact City Church. But in just a little bit, I'm going to have the girls come back up here on stage. And they're going to be praying. Uh, they're going to be singing a, a worship song. I'm going to ask uh, Wayne. I'm going to ask Giancarlo to come up here. And uh, what we're going to do is just kind of be a little bit... Um, spontaneous here if we could be and um just we want to pray with you like it's simple like us as the church just felt like we need to have some time where we just pray over you and i want you to be bold and i want you to kind of kind of have that moment you can do it at your seat that's fine if you if you're too scared to come up here i understand but i challenge you to be bold enough to come up and, and just pray with one of us just between us and you and god you take that moment, if you're, if, if you're dealing with, with, with being a child of wrath and you want to surrender your life to Jesus and you know that you need that in your life, come pray with us. Let's leave it here. Let's do it right now. Let's not walk out that door because tomorrow is not promised to you. Listen, if you're a child of God, if you're his workmanship and you have not been acting like it, let's just stop right now and let's beg God for his forgiveness and his grace. Remember, immeasurable riches of his grace. And it's there. Are you asking for it? Let us be led to the cross. Let us be here today. Let's receive the free gift of God's grace and his love for you right now. So girls, let's come up. Giancarlo and, um, and uh, Wayne, if you would, please. Let's go ahead and pray real quick, and we'll go ahead and start worshiping. Father God, thank you so much for this church, and thank you for for those who are here today. Uh, Lord, this is Father's Day, and ultimately you are the only good father that we, that we know in our lives. God, we just pray right now that people will be bold, that we lay aside all of our pride, all of that, 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 that sense in our, in our lives that says that we cannot do this. May you give strength to the shaking legs right now. 
God, may you just speak clearly to the hearts that need to be hearing your voice right now. Come up, Lord, and, and, and allow people to come up and pray. Let's not let our best excuse become our worst mistake today. Let's worship.